When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Hey there. We at Blue Wire just wanted to take a second to thank you for listening to this podcast. We know everything outside is pretty scary and uncertain, but we're committed to helping you get through your day by talking about the sports and teams that you love most. If you're looking for more great podcasts to distract you, check out BlueWirePods.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the podcast and stay safe. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 186, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsor betonline.ag. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and before we get into the weeds about the top 50 players in Barcelona history, Frances, I just have to ask you, how are you doing? Hola, Gules. I'm doing all right, doing all right. I'm pretty bored of being at home, to be honest now. Um, I think I've been locked down for 10 days, something along those lines. And yeah, the, the four walls, you know, I've got a, a nice enough place that, that I live in now. But being locked in the, the four walls is just, it's just boring. Um, there's only so much Netflix you can watch. Um, there's only so much Barca old games you can watch. And uh, yeah, it's getting a little bit, a little bit difficult. But then again, we need to make the best out of a difficult situation. In this case, obviously, unusual, unexpected, unprecedented and enjoying family time we've got you know the girls are little we're all playing around and yeah it's just a little bit boring but it's always good to be with the family and i'm sure that 
when all of this is gone, which will be gone at some point, uh, depending which part of the world you are, you're either beginning in the middle of it or sort of it's dying now, but it will eventually go away and everything will get better. And we may even miss the amount of time we've got to be with our family and doing other things, really. Yeah, I feel like my wife and I are in good health. Everybody's doing okay. And I also don't have toddlers to contend with. So I, I think I can't say anything less than I'm doing really well. Lucky you. They, <laughs> <I am laughs> little seeing, ones are lovely, but man, they're hard work. I know. I am seeing something different where there seems to be two categories of people. It's those with toddlers and those without. And the ones with the toddlers are certainly the ones. Well, they're, they're going through their own thing too at home. But again, I'm glad everyone's healthy and okay. It, it is an odd thing too, Francis, we start this show. Because in light of everything happening in the world... I still do find it difficult to talk about current events. And, you know, I realize that football doesn't mean anything in the grand scheme of things, but it's a lot of people's livelihood in truth. So it does mean something. It is a distraction. It's the entertainment we always talk about. So I want to continue to have us here help to be a distraction for people. And and one of the ways we're going to be doing this is first, I want to mention down in the description, there is a link to the top 50 player ranking Frances and I combined to put that list together, all top 50 players, and there's some players we missed that we'll talk about today. This show today is based on that top 50 ranking that you can watch again on YouTube, and uh, if you don't, you can even listen to this show. You shouldn't be too confused. You'll just figure out some of the players that we thought were a little too high or a little too low. That's what we're breaking down, but before that, I do, again, I know current events aren't important, and we're waiting on football, but again, if everyone's in good health, nothing else matters, but I do want to mention that current events-wise, Messi and the players today announcing that they are going to be taking a 70% pay cut. And I think the big news here is that Messi and the players have agreed to take that 70% pay cut. And as Messi did mention, there was never any question that they would, but they just wanted to make sure that it was the right deal, not only for them, but make sure they could get it in, in the most... There are no details, but it sounded like Messi, again, and Luis Suarez and leading the players, it sounded like they were trying to wait for the correct deal to happen that would be most beneficial to not just the players because they're taking 70% pay cut, but they're also willing to pay for most of the other staff around FC Barcelona and take care of those people too. So it's kind of like that is what they were waiting on just to make sure a proper deal was built in so that the players would then be taking care of the other staff as well and what that exactly was going to look like financially. So it sounded like that's what they were waiting on. But Frances, that's again the news. That's the current events. But the other part of this, and it is making news, is that Messi also seemed to not be too happy with somebody within the club who seems to be leaking information that maybe the players weren't too happy to do this kind of thing. And Messi said, again, that's hogwash. Now, I mean, this is one of those where you, Messi has already once, and I guess maybe half a time again, uh, said that he's not too happy with the way things are being run at certain times and the way that information is being leaked. And he's now on a second or third occasion, once again, saying, I'm not too happy with the way things are going. Exactly. And I think he's right to do so. I mean, they have been under the spotlight for the last week. Um, Barca board leaked out um, around a week ago now that um, they were going to force everyone to take a, take a pay cut, which, you know, th- disclaimer here, I think is the absolutely the right thing to do. Um, Espanyol were the first club in the whole of La Liga that did it. And I think Barca were right to follow. Um, if 70% is what the clubs in La Liga have agreed to do, then I think everyone should follow suit. At this moment in time, I think it's Espanyol, Barca, Alaves, and it's Atletico Madrid, right? And the other 16 clubs haven't really said anything yet. So um, the fact that the board is leaking out to the media that they're trying to convince the players, well, every other team in the whole of Spain is trying to do the same, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, they've got the right to just say this is this is 70% pay cut for all of you and this is what it is, so so deal with it. But 
they didn't have to leak anything out to the media. I mean, I was very surprised yesterday when they said that everyone in the sections, so what they call in, in, in Catalan, las sections, which are the other professional teams, so your basketball, handball, football, sala, and roller hockey, and they had all agreed to, to, to take the pay cut and that they were waiting for the football team. Now, to me, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, they should have just waited to say all five sections have agreed, including the football team for, for men and females. Um, because all of this has been going on, there's been a lot of... Um, there's a lot of noise. Um, there's not many news that any sports paper can be focusing on. So the media, especially from Madrid, have been focusing on this quite a lot, um, saying that Barca players were not going to do it, etc., etc., etc. And to be honest, there's so many ins and outs. There's so many um, little factors when it comes to to money at the, at the Barca football first team level that it is natural that it takes a little bit longer. Obviously, a player like say um, Ansu Fati or Lenglet, for example, wouldn't get paid the sums of money that Messi, Suarez, Piquet, for example, do, or, or Busquets, etc. So it's only natural that those people, apart from getting the 70% cut, which they apparently they agree from the beginning, is just trying to, to find a little bit more to make sure every employee of the club gets paid 100% of the salary in full while this pandemic and the closure of La Liga, etc. Um, continues to happen. And obviously, that's going to take more time to negotiate because there's a lot of people involved. There's a lot of, I'm assuming, there's a lot of lawyers involved. It's not just in a WhatsApp group you say, hey, let's let's do this. Far more complicated than that. I'm assuming the players are giving money at different sums because someone like Messi or Suarez can give more than the others. And that, that's understandable. And to be throwing the players under the bus when they're actually trying to do something Above and beyond what the club is asking, I think it's unreasonable. And um, it's not the first time that Messi calls out the board, as you very rightly just explained. And I think that he's getting very fed up with what's going on. And, and beyond the fact that Messi was first to post the message, but obviously Luis Suarez followed. Uh, I think pretty much every first team player actually followed as well. Um, and posted the same message, which is quite telling that this message was just published in Spanish as well. So considering the amount of lawyers and translators and social media people, um, all of the players would have had the fact that it only came out in Spanish is very, very telling. And also the fact that pretty much straight away, Xavi and Puyol and then Samuel Eto'o um, supported the, the, the players in terms of the fact that they had agreed something that went above and beyond. That's, that's very telling as well. You, you put all of that together with the fact that Xavi had an interview with La Vanguardia a couple of days ago and he was talking about, um, obviously, his desire to come back to Barca um, and, you know, taking things from the beginning. He literally said, from a project that starts from zero, it's also, it's also very interesting to see that all of these things happen pretty much one day after the other. Yeah, I agree with all those points. And, yeah, I think the, the, the thing that I, I really want to make clear here that you did kind of hint at was that Messi is, it's not about even the story getting out. It's that, and I think the part about being Spanish and only in Spanish was very telling because when you looked at when this came out yesterday or two days ago, where is it getting picked up? It's getting picked up by The Guardian, by ESPN, by these global platforms, right? And I saw the headline on ESPN and I read the headline from Samuel Marston as it should have been. He's the Barcelona English-speaking correspondent in Barcelona. So he reports on that story. And he reports on that story as did The Guardian because there was a story. And that's Messi's argument here. It's not that they, they were having negotiations and talks. 
So the, he, his whole point is that there are times where you leak things in the media. There are reasons to leak things in the media. And it's also a reporter's job to get that information. And he's not even frustrated with reporters. But he felt like, and, and I, I completely agree with this, in this time, especially with the crisis, with what's going on in the world, this is not a clickbait headline. This is not something that someone should be clicking on and questioning the the moral compromise of these Barcelona players. And I and I completely understand. You know, there's those things where you don't want to completely take the, the side of these millionaire players. You never want to take completely the side of um, those behind the scenes because we don't know the hoops that they're jumping through just to do these things. But yeah, I, I think this is one of those unequivocal have to agree with Messi and the players on this one that there was no reason for it's not even a leak, but there's no reason for someone to have said things in the way that they did to any media so that a story could be written and spun in this way to go to a global audience. Because you're right, Frances, that I read this and I see it on ESPN FC that though the Barca players are acting a certain way, but every other club around the world, particularly in Spain, because that's where they, they have that, that ruling going in effect about 70% pay cut, but so many other clubs, again, so all of the Liga clubs are dealing with this exact same conversation behind closed doors, but how come I saw the name Barca and no other club in the Liga were their names and players attached to this? And that is Messi's frustration. Completely understand it. And for those who might say, oh, well, this means that Messi is going to get so fed up and leave, I disagree. I completely, I think it's the opposite. Where we've talked about before, that the board, this puts them, continuing to put them on pressure. And I've said before that I don't think the election, because of this global crisis, is going to happen until 2021. It's just, it's, it's not possible for all of that to come together and for everyone to be back in the stadium. And we don't know. There's so much we don't know. But I can't imagine the board is not going to be able to, you have to have the same guiding hand throughout this kind of crisis. But all that said, for those worried that Messi is going to leave, I think this just means that uh, Messi is He's not one to ever throw his weight behind a candidate, but I would not be surprised if, again, this is a long way away, but we're talking, what, 12 months from now, where it's, you know, April, May of next season, and it's almost time for those elections where Messi goes, you know what, this is kind of what I want, right? And Messi or somebody in the club leaks like this is what Messi wants, and Messi gets what Messi wants. So I think that's more, to me, where the future of this could lie. And again, with the crisis going on, tons could happen. But I'm just speaking from a, it doesn't matter whether or not the board can bring Neymar back. I don't think those are the things that dictate whether or not Messi wants to stay at the club. Messi wants to stay at the club. He wants to be at Barcelona. And it's going to be basically on the board to either put up or shut up. And this is another one of those uh, nails in their coffin to say that, well, a year plus from now, I don't see how they get reelected. No, totally agree. I think that the hours are counted. And especially when they've lost the support of the most important and most influential player and figure in Barca history, arguably Messi, then there's no way forward for them, really. It's just a matter of time. Well, speaking of Barca history, let's hit that break real quick, and we'll be back to talk about the top 50 ranking in Barcelona history. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner still has hundreds of sports, events, and games to wager on, or let them bring Vegas to you with their online casino and blackjack. All open 24 hours a day and all online, including their $750,000 poker series. If you're into props and entertainment betting, you can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the weather. Visit their website and join today to receive a 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Be sure to use promo code BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online waging experts. Now back to the show. So, Frances, top 50 players in Barcelona history. I know there's a lot of arguments about number one. That's where to start, right? Lionel Messi. How did we possibly put him number one? Um, I've got no idea. I think he may have scored <laughs> some goals. 
I think he may have been quite talented, won quite a good number of trophies, and being the influential person that basically has attracted millions of people around the world to fall in love with our club once again. So I figured the best way of doing this, because in all seriousness, obviously, Lil Messi was number one. As I said in the video, he was the easiest selection on this entire list. He was going to be number one. That was slotted in uh, into stone, basically chilled into stone. But all the other 49 players on this list could have been not anywhere else, but there was basically regions where players were as we were making them. I, I know I tried to group them together, then sort them in those little smaller groups. So I, I think we start all the way at the end of the list where we almost go through a best of the rest. And I think having watched it again, and again, it was nothing perfect, but we put this together and you and I have been looking at it and we're saying, well, we probably could have had some guys on the list and maybe taken some off. But for me, 40 through 50 were the hardest because 40 through 50, I have a list called best of the rest. I have 22 names on that one where I felt like there was almost 35 guys that could have been anywhere from 40 to 50. And I think it was that last 10 was certainly the most difficult to narrow down. So I think, Frances, you and I are just going to go back and forth and go with some of the names that we thought should probably be in different spots on this list. And I'm going to go first with one of my best of the rest. Looking at it again, and this was brought up by Dirk in the listener group, Bern Schuster, if Barcelona wins the Champions League trophy in the mid-80s against Stau Bucharest, if they win that Champions League trophy, Bern Schuster is seen as a Barcelona legend. He's seen as maybe the best player for Barca of the 1980s, the, the German midfielder. He was strong and powerful, and he didn't necessarily fit that what has become the Barcelona model of a player that Cruyff obviously institutes after the era of Schuster. And I think a big part of that too, of course, is the consternation back in the day. We, there's that there's a famous press conference where Jose Ramon Alexanco speaks, and he speaks about the, the consternation between the board and the players and some of the arguments that they were having at the time. And again, if all that goes differently and Bern Schuster doesn't fall out with the Barcelona board like so many other players of that generation did, he goes to Real Madrid and then he basically becomes a Madridista because he's their coach as well. And I think that kind of tainted all the things that we saw of him, that he winds up not being, not to say that he's not a winner at Barca, but he doesn't really, he doesn't really wind up being anything more than an individual player because those teams, he wins a, a couple trophies, but it seems like that team in the 80s didn't win enough in comparison it's not that they didn't win. They didn't win enough in comparison to the team of the 90s and the Pep Guardiola team now to get himself on that list. But looking at it again, well, the Philip Koku era didn't have a lot of winning either. So maybe I, again, that would be a pick for me. I take Schuster, I put Schuster on and I take Cuckoo off. So that would be my first pick there. Okay. All right. Um, I cannot really disagree much with that. I think Koku was crucial to one of the worst eras in, in recent memory. But, you know, Ben Schuster, I didn't really see play that much. So I will go with your with your judgment and your research. And obviously, thank you to, to Dirk for, for that shout out in the um, Facebook group. Now, I think probably Pedro should have made the list as well. That was one of the picks that, you know, when we were debating what the top 50 should be, that was one of the ones that we were discussing. And Pedro obviously was key to arguably the best team that Barca has ever seen with David Villa and Messi up front the Manchester United in the final with the you know Messi spectacular performance but more than that a fantastic you know 11 superstars behind and there were superstars in their own right there were superstars in their own right because they were part of a team that was exceptional coached by Guardiola and Pedro you know coming from pretty much nowhere coming from Las Islas Canarias um, making his uh, first team debut after 
you know, going through Barca B and, and learning his trade under Guardiola in there, being promoted with Guardiola himself um, together with Busquets. I think that he was influential, scored plenty of goals. Um, obviously, when you are a player of his calibre, but you have to play alongside Messi and, you know, your the, all the other superstars around you, it's never going to be easy. But he definitely uh, managed to stand up for himself and, and make a name for himself. He was crucial. He kept the Barca mechanisms going, but he wasn't just one of those, I'm going to pass it back and I'm going to, you know, do the horizontal passing. He loved to dribble. He loved to run towards the byline. He really loved unbalancing and uh, he really associated really well with those around him. Um, I would have thought that Chike Begirestein obviously was a very similar player, but if I was to do the list again, I'd probably put Pedro instead of Chiki in that 47, 48, 49 slot. Yeah, I can see that. So Bajirstein, he goes in 49. Again, you're talking about the very end of the list. So Bajirstein, yeah, he, I think he had a he had a, one or two seasons where he wound up scoring more goals than Pedro would in a season. But yeah, the argument would be that if you swap those two players in their respective teams, put Pedro with the dream team and put Bajirstein with the era of, of Messi and particularly with, with Messi and David Villa and that era... I think you do have an argument that Pedro winds up scoring the same number or more that Bajiristain scored back in the day. So, yeah, I completely sign off on that one, too. That Just looking at it, that, uh, yeah, Pedro, unfortunately, the shadow of Messi is cast a little bit wider than the shadows of, of Stoichkov and, and Romario. So, yeah, so I, I, mean, I mean, I completely understand that one. And then the other one I want to bring up to you, Francis, it's not really a pick of mine, but I think we had Jordi Alba at 46 here. We had Rakitic at 48, and we had Johan Niskins at 50. And of those three players, do you think Sergi winds up slipping in for one of them? I'm not entirely sure about that. I think Sergi winds up just being a player who, again, he's a great player, and he should be in a top 50 ranking, but I don't know who to take out for him. Exactly. And, and the same argument for Sergi Bajuan, you can make for Albert Ferre, actually. Um, Albert Ferre obviously played, um, bef- well, made the first team before Sergi ever did, but they were pretty much the same player in different, different sides. Um, Albert Ferre was a right back, and I think that he then moved on to Chelsea and spent two or three seasons in there. And Sergi Bajuan was a left back. Um, I would, the way that I did the 50, top 50 was, who would you rather pick? if everyone was at their prime. And I think Jordi Alba at his prime was better than Sergi Bajuan was at his. Um, also, Jordi Alba is much more successful in terms of um, European glory and all the Champions League that he's contributed for. And obviously, um, not that this is a top 50 Spain 11, but his success with the Spanish national team also speaks for itself. Right. That was one of the big things in terms of consternation with this ranking. That It is difficult to quantify certain players. And, and this, as we move into this next part of the discussion, you know, we have guys on this list, David Villa, 34, Keeney at 35, Luis Figo came in at 30, Mikel Lodrip comes out at 27. So you have guys that were better players, even arguably better players or saw their best at other teams, even. So this was a combination of the how good they were at Barcelona, the amount of time that they were at Barcelona, the amount of winning they did at Barcelona, and that's an important piece we'll get in a second. Um, That was part of the criteria, the amount of winning they did, and then really what they meant to the crest and what they meant legacy-wise to FC Barcelona. So for David Villa and Kini, David Villa, who I think probably was at his best at Valencia, and he 
was finding his best form in 2010 at the FIFA World Cup, obviously, when he leads the line there. Spain wins the World Cup, then he gets his move to Barcelona. So David Villa, for all that he was as a player, is higher on this list as far as, again, just the player that he was. But again, maybe his best years were actually at Valencia, and he was still a legend and one of the all-time greats when he moved to Barca. But the argument can still be made of Keeney as well, where he was already racking up Pichichi trophies when he was at Sporting Gijon. Then he brings that to Barca, and I'm going to have a video on this later in in this time as as things are going on in the world. But if Keeney doesn't get kidnapped and miss those four matches— Barcelona probably win the Liga again with Vini at the head and his legacy winds up being different. So it's just, and that's the thing when you go back in the, in the history, you just look at the name Kini and you look at his numbers, but it's not just about the numbers. Again, he was arguably Barcelona's top goal scorer and best player at the time when he was there. It just winds up that he wasn't really at Barcelona long enough because he came, we'll say a little bit later on in his career from Sporting Gijon. So that's why they're down there. The player that I'm going to bring up now here is Luis Figo, Frances, at number 30. Mm-hmm. Luis Figo winds up winning the Ballon d'Or because of his work at Barcelona in, in the year 2000. If he, doesn't, if he isn't that good at Barcelona, he doesn't win the Ballon d'Or. So I consider that basically Barcelona's Ballon d'Or, even though he won in a, in a Los Blancos uniform. And obviously he is hated and Miguel for all those things, but... As far as players on the field, he was also at Barcelona for multiple seasons. It just—it wasn't just one or two years. He was there for half a decade, and he was one of the best players, and particularly in those last two or three seasons, and that's what made it hurt so bad because he was one of the top players, and that year he left, he was the top player in the world. So I, I don't know how you put him. The only thing that puts him lower than 30 on this list is the way that he left. Yeah, and the way that he behaved while he was at Barca. I mean... Um, one of the things that I've been doing uh, with my <laughs> countless hours here in the house is listening to old programs. And there was a very interesting show by Catalonia Radio uh, where Luis Canut, which is one of the most reputed re- journalists over the last 30 years following you know, every step in Barca history, um, there and obviously beforehand. And he disclosed um, what happened with Figo, really. And what happened with Figo is that he was actually um, very tempted for you know, to change the money. He was tempted by Inter Milan. He was tempted by Parma. And every single season that he was at Barca, he kept going back to President Núñez and asking him to revise his salary. Um, And not revise his salary because he thought he deserved more. He always asked him to revise his salary because he had an offer from somebody else. And, you know, you cannot really... You can do that once. Maybe you can get away with that twice. But when you continue to to go and go and go on and on and on, it just gets to a point that, um, that you know, the, the whole basket sort of breaks. Um, obviously, at the time, President Núñez was on his way out. Joan Gaspar was coming in and Núñez couldn't, couldn't secure the money for Figo that he demanded and he wanted. He basically said, I've got this deal with Real Madrid. If you don't match it, I will leave. And, and Núñez said, well, I can't really... I can really match that money because I'm leaving the presidency. You need to discuss that with Juan Gaspar or whoever gets elected, which obviously at the time was Luis Bassat, who was also, you know, to be honest, he was favorite to win, even though Gaspar ended up winning himself. And Figo, long story cut, very, very short, ended up having to accept the offer for Real Madrid. Um, otherwise, he will have to play, I think it was 10,000 10, million pesetas at the time. I don't know how much that is in, in money these days. But it was an insane amount of money. It was double the amount of money that Inter Milan paid for Ronaldo, which was around 5,000. So, so it was a huge amount of money that Figo had to pay out of his own pocket. 
unless he decided to to accept the, the offer from Madrid. And that's one, you know, when he went to Madrid and he was lifting his uh, Madrid top with the number 10 and that infamous um, white collar in the background, that's why he looks like he's killed someone. You know, he's just super unhappy. And that's because he, you know, down in his heart, he really wanted to stay. But, you know, his, his money, money grabbing essence just, you know, took him somewhere else. So personally, when I was um, making the top 50 of Barca players in history, th- you can't, you can't take that off your mind, you know, you can't yeah. take it off your mind and you cannot rank it any higher because um, there's people like, I don't know, Ramayet, Piqué, Miguel, Guardiola, Laudrup above him that really were much more, much more decent, you know, they were much more faithful to the Barca colours and to be honest, I think 30, considering his behaviour, is already very high but obviously you cannot take away the fact that he was a fantastic player. He was arguably even better later when he went from Madrid and it really hurts the way that he left. But, you know, to be honest, we, we, we need to look forward. And hopefully it's the last time I have to speak about him in the podcast. Well, yeah, he, it winds up being a really important moment in the history of Barcelona and Real Madrid. It's one of those what-ifs that it leads to a down period for Barca, but then it, because of how low they got, it winds up when, when the Frank Reichardt era uh, wins the Champions League and it winds up being a new era for Barcelona, a new dawning, and obviously Pep Guardiola takes it to a, a new level. It is a what-if. that w- If he had stayed and Barca do a little bit of winning but don't take it to the next level, do they really put their faith in La Masi in the way that they did years down the road? That said, I also want to say that we always, again, look at Luis Figo's story through the lens of FC Barcelona, but from a Real Madrid perspective, you have to think that Lorenzo Sanz, who was uh, who actually just passed away due to the due to the due to what's happening and, and due to the virus in the world. So I mean, rest in peace to Lorenzo Sanz, uh, former Real Madrid president. But that said, he had just won two Champions Leagues in three years after 32 years for Real Madrid. And Lorenzo Sanz, after you do that kind of winning, how do you possibly get replaced? Well, why Kule's dislike? Florentino Perez, as much as they do, one of those reasons is because he basically promised Luis Figo. He promised that that he was going to basically stab Barca in the heart and and take one of their best players away from them. And that's what got him elected. That's what Florentino Perez winds up getting him in the seat over a guy that just won two Champions League trophies for Real Madrid after so long. Yeah. So that's, can, that's can, a Real can Madrid contest. Can I add with that? Yeah. Sorry, can I add in there as well? He, yes, he did promise he was, go- was going to bring Figo, but then anyone can promise, you know, I'm going to buy you the moon and <laughs> Venus and Mars. No, I understand but he that. Said, what he said to the Madrid fans and Sofios, he said, if I don't bring Figo and I get elected, then I promise I will pay all of your tickets for all of your matches <laughs> and your membership quota for the whole year. So really, absurd. when you go to vote, you go, right, I either get Figo or I get a lot of money this year directly into my own pocket. So what are they going to do? Right, right. I, apparently wealth does matter in the world. Um, and speaking of wealth, number 29 on the list, so right in front of Luis Figo, because 30 to 21, that was really the 10 that I guess we're really focusing on because it was those are the ones I think were so hard because Diego Maradona is a top five player all time. He's also a top five, maybe one character in football history just because of the character that he was and still continues to be as he's moved on. I, I want to say the coaching ranks as he's kind of gone to different places throughout time. But when you look at what he was at Barcelona, arriving from Boca Juniors in 82 for a world record 5 million at the time, basically Barcelona were looking for another superstar player in the way that Johan Cruyff had been and he had left forward five years prior. 
But Diego Maradona only spends two years there. He leaves for Napoli in 1984, again for a world record fee. And while he was a legend for Argentina, sure, at Barcelona, he had hepatitis, he had the broken ankle, and so Kool-Aid's never really got the best Maradona that you saw for Argentina or for Napoli. So he's 29 on this list, not because of his personal talent, but other than the time when he was applauded by Real Madrid fans for the 2-1 win in the 83 El Clasico, he really was just usually on the sideline or causing trouble. The way his career at Barcelona ends was something that I had to wait and take into account here. The incident in the 1984 Copa del Rey final against Athletic Club at the Santiago Bergabago in Madrid, he has a brawl in front of the king. And it winds up being a black mark, not just on Barcelona or Athletic Club, but just a black mark on Spanish football for a little bit of time there. And that was his final hurrah for the, for the Blagrana. And then he winds up leaving for Napoli and Barcelona wind up cashing in on him. So the reason he's 29, now that I even speak that into existence, maybe Diego Maradona deserves to be lower on this list. But yet you look at some of the goals he did score and he was darn good in his time at Barcelona too. Exactly. And I don't want to add too much to Maradona, just to say that um, the Barca president at the time, which was also Nunez, um, we've mentioned him already, he was clever enough to get rid of him um, because he had already started, let's just say, dubious activities at nighttime while during his time at Barcelona. And the fact that he found a buyer, despite the fact that all of that was going on behind the scenes and his behavior on the pitch was being affected, I think it was quite a good move to, to offload him so quickly for that much money. All right, we're going to move forward here. Again, we could talk about the likes of Mikel Laudrup, but I think he was a great dribbler. He fit into that dream team, but I'm glad we have Guardiola above him. Again, we have PK above him. We get to number 21 with Neymar, and I think, it's not to say that I want to pat us on the back, but as I continue to look through this list, 21 seems pretty fair for Neymar because he was a part of that incredible treble winning season, obviously, and just because he was one of the three of maybe Barca's best front three that they had ever had in their history. When you look back again, there was one superstar on the front line. Maybe you had two at certain times, but that was the best front three ever. Uh, And Neymar at 21 seems fair for that reason. He did spend a few seasons at Barca, but I think what even stops him from being put in the top 20, as we'll talk about them, was, again, I think the way he left. Well, let's just say that Neymar was influential from from beginning to end. Um, He got to us as a little kid, was, um, you know, quite ambitious, which is great, and had been very successful in Brazil, which is also good, but a little bit overconfident at times. But, you know, from the moment that he joined us, he decided and he was clear that he wanted to learn from Messi. And he was much more humble than I thought he was ever going to be. Um, Obviously, he's an eccentric, and having Dani Alves alongside him certainly helped him become the, the icon that he is today and doing all the eccentricity bits and pieces that people seem to love him. I don't quite understand why, but they seem to love him for it. But all I worry about in in Neymar's case is what he did on the pitch. Um, And on the pitch, he was sublime. Um, He was pretty much unstoppable. Um, He was young, he was fresh, he was cheeky, and he was everything that you wanted him to be. Um, And probably even more because he managed to combine with Messi and he understood that you know, he couldn't be first picking that team when you've got Messi alongside. And so he adapted his game. He was very humble. And uh, I'm very pleased he's um, pretty much made the top 20, e.g. 21. Yeah. And even again, I want to go back to that one 
that the one great season you talk even we'll get maybe we'll get to this in a second but if not uh, the the Barca the five cups the 51 52 season there is a lot of weight that needs to be put on just how good the team was that year and again 2015 Neymar winds up 39 goals in all competitions 10 in the Champions League as well as his goal at the death against Juventus in the 3-1 win winning Barca that Champions League trophy I think that's certainly yes it's recent history but that goes a long way in my mind so it's interesting too because as again we worked through this list and a lot of the guys that wound up being we'll say had the most fluidity in where they were put on this ranking a lot of them wound up being South American players particularly Brazilian players particularly Brazilian attackers that could be put in a lot of different spots so we're going to talk about two Brazilian attackers maybe three or four actually uh, as we continue to get higher on this list but before that I want to jump two spots Sergio Busquets he's at 19 here and it doesn't necessarily say much about, as, as I was doing this, and I looked at all the winning that Busquets has done, even myself, as I quoted Vicente de Bosque in that, you know, his famous quote that if you watch the whole match, you won't see Busquets, but if you watch Busquets, you'll see the whole match and all that stuff. But I think 19 might even be too low for Sergio Busquets, but I look at who's right in front of him. 18 is Luis Suarez, that being the Spanish one who won the Ballon d'Or. The only reason Luis Suarez is not thought about more highly is because Barca were in a financial strait because they built the camp. No, that they had to sell Luis Suarez to Grande Inter where he joined up again with Helenio Herrera. So Luis Suarez is one of those players that also should have been higher, but again, because of the circumstances he was sold, he would have been a Barca legend. But he won the Ballon d'Or and is right in front of Sergio Busquets. But the issue here I have is the guy in front of him that Victor Valdez at 17 is the highest goalkeeper. But as much as he was the goalkeeper, he in a sense revolutionized the position. He honestly did. He wound up revolutionizing the position with a light of guidance from Pep Guardiola using his feet a lot more and if he isn't the goalkeeper, the fearless goalkeeper that he is, then that Barca defense under Pep Guardiola winds up conceding a lot more goals. But all that said, I, when you say, was it Busquets or Valdez who was most important to those teams, I think you have to say Busquets. So I would, it might be a simple one there with flipping those two, but even Samuel Eto, who's at 16, maybe Busquets winds up going in front of him as well. So I think Busquets was a little bit too low for my liking. No, I, I sort of see your point, and obviously we're not always going to agree on everything, uh, which is great. Uh, but 2006 Champions League, in my eyes, doesn't happen without Victor Valdez. He was absolutely crucial. Um, he was imperative, and uh, obviously Belletti's goal that came later on in the in the match um, is the one that actually was the winning goal. But without the saves from Valdez that day, we just don't get that Champions League. And if you think about it, that Champions League win is the one that kickstarts everything that followed after. Um, you did mention in the YouTube videos quite clearly, but Vitor Valdez was the perfect goalkeeper for Barca at the time because he was very, very good on, you know, on his feet and he understood the Barca system, etc. But for me, the crucial point was the fact that he was sublime. He was fantastic one-on-one. And if you watch that final or if you watch, um, or you watch them at the time, which many of our, our listeners did, he kept saving goals one after the next um, and pretty much every single match he would save two or three goals from coming in and most goalkeepers when tested just three or four times a match which Victor Valdez used to get he, they would have allowed many more goals because mostly it was one on one with the with the forward coming forward yeah and i think the other part too is valdez that if he, I, I don't think recent history matters too much about how he became a youth coach with the of the juvenile Oz and then was let go. 
I don't think recent history really biased us too much, but I think the eccentric personality he had, because even the way he left, it rubbed the Catalan journalists that had worked with him for so long, it rubbed them the wrong way, it seemed to rub the club the wrong way. So Victor Valdez certainly did, unlike a players like Xavi and Iniesta and Busquets, he did have a way of getting under the skin of some people. Not not that dissimilar to Gerard Piquet, but Gerard Piquet seems to be a little more smiling <laughs> about it, if you will, and Victor Valdez did it, uh, I guess, uh, with a little more of a brash attitude. And I, I think that actually does wind up counting against him just a little bit because a goalkeeper is in a position that you see, you think of it as a Marc-Andre Ter Stegen kind of goalkeeper. That's what you want. You want a guy that's always calm or if he is intense like a Buffon or for the U.S. a Tim Howard, he's intense as a leader where Valdez, because of the leaders he had on his team, never really felt like that leader that uh, he could have been on the field. He just felt like he was more like just a, a kind of a crazy man. But you're right, that that intensity and all of that confidence, that brash confidence, winds up creating a real winner here. So now I want to continue talking about those South Americans that, that I had mentioned. For me, 12 through 16, really you could throw this in, in, in a pot, maybe not 16 with Eto, but we have 12 is Brazilian Ronaldo, 13, Stoichkov, 14, Rivaldo, 15, Ronald Koeman. That 12 through 15, that five-player set, I think was the most difficult and I know it's just one spot between them, but I mean, I think all five of those are completely interchangeable for completely different reasons. But then you look at it and you go, well, 15 actually is too low for Rivaldo. And then for Coleman, you go, well, maybe 12 is too high for him, right? Where you almost look at those kind of extremes there. But yeah, Rivaldo winds up being one that certainly could have been higher. But the big one here is at 12. Where do you possibly put Brazilian Ronaldo? He played for Barcelona for just one season. He's at number 12 on the all-time list. You're talking about guys that, that won multiple Champions League, that won all of these trophies. And yet, Brazilian Ronaldo, 34 goals in 37 matches in the 1996-97 season. He winds up winning the Ballon d'Or. He was just 20 years old at the time. He gets the golden shoe, joining Messi and Luis Suarez, the Uruguayan, as the only two Barca players to take home that award. I mean, he was just so, so good. They won the Copa del Rey, UEFA Cup, Winners' Cup, the Spanish Super Cup all that year, three trophies. And even the five years he played for Real Madrid, because of his injuries, he was uninjured at Barca. He was powerful, quick. I mentioned in the YouTube video, powerful, quick, clinical, skillful, all those different things. And he also won two World Cups, sure, and that's about his greater legacy. But Ronaldo, in just his one season at Barcelona, had maybe the best single season for anybody not named Messi. Yes, agreed. And um, that was the actual season and my brother actually played for Barca as well. So all of the Barca home matches, I was at the camp not watching him. And I, I just can't remember just being in awe of him every single game. I mean, I remember the game against Valencia in which he just, I think he scored a hat-trick in the end. But in one of the goals, he just goes through the middle. And I think there's four or five defenders coming at him. And he just, like a train, just, just gets them out of the way. He seemed a little bit like Mario Kart, you know, just people sort of drifting away from him and it was just spectacular it's a top 50 it's very hard to to place people i think that ronaldo could have been higher but then again who are you going to put down you got dani alves luis suarez puyol who are you gonna who are you gonna bring down and i think rivaldo also was was incredible uh, probably deserved to be a little bit higher again but for the same reason who, who do you swap but both of those players absolutely magnificent and uh Maybe the fact that, especially Ronaldo wasn't at the club for that that long, is the fact why he's not a little bit higher. But, you know, spectacular players. I mean, from now on, everyone's going to be tremendous. 
Right, and, and Rivaldo is the exact same argument. I, and, I, and that's I even mentioned the, in the in the Facebook group one of one of our our listeners did make mention that Rivaldo should have been higher. He was the best player. He won a, a Ballon d'Or for his efforts at Barcelona. Uh, yeah, he he did lead a dark age for Barcelona, and that almost counted against him because again, who were the guys in front of him? Luis Suarez, that being the Uruguayan at number 11, is, again, arguably the greatest number nine that FC Barcelona has had. He's going to wind up being third on the all-time goal-scoring list, I think, when all is said and done. And then in front of him, Paulinho Alcantara, who, until Messi broke that record, was the all-time leader in unofficial goals or all-time goals for Barcelona. He was, again, the first superstar for the club. FC Barcelona doesn't really exist without him being as good as he was. In front of him, Danny Alves, arguably the greatest right-back ever to play. Number eight... Cesar Rodriguez, who was the, he's the second goal getter on this list behind Messi. So number two on the all-time Barcelona list. Carlos Puyol, arguably the greatest captain that Barca ever had. Lazo Kubala, who, because of his efforts in the 50s, he's the reason the Camp No was even built to support all those players. And then we get to a, another guy that I could argue actually here. Number five, Ronaldinho. Maybe too high at number five, but I don't know where else to put him as far as number five because of just how good he was in the modern era. Does Messi and Iniesta and Xavi and Guardiola, does all that exist if not for Ronaldinho? But number no. five may be too high. No, no, I, I agree. Five is, is good. I think five is perfect for him. I think that what you just mentioned, he was the, the trigger for everything that came after. Um, I think Edgar Davids as well, which actually we haven't mentioned at all today, uh, was um, a very influential player. Obviously, he was only with us for half a season. That's probably why he didn't make the top 50. That would be but it, I yep. think, <laughs> <laughs> Not yeah. Not yeah. But we, between Edgar David's strength and Ronaldinho's happiness and, and also physicality and, and charisma and the fact that he lifted not just Barca as a you know football team, but the whole city, the whole country fell in love with the way that Barca was playing. And there was such a buzz, there was such an energy. And we claim from a period of, basically rubbish for so many years. Um, the only good thing in the team was actually Rivaldo and Kloivert um, sort of finishing and pretty much it. We had people like Giovanni who was also a little bit all right, but not to the caliber of any one of the players that we discussed today. And then this smiling Ronaldinho comes, you know, breaks the whole of the Galacticos era. Uh, the, you know, the Real Madrid winning had been Septima, Octava, you know, they have won so many Champions Leagues and it was it was a really terrible time to be a Barca fan, to be honest. And then Ronaldinho changed it. Obviously, it's the happiness, but it's also the flair. It's also the dribbling. It's also the the the, the sheer enthusiasm that the guy was sort of beaming um, every single day of of the year. Really, uh, that that I think correctly places him at number five. Yeah, there is something to it. And as I've been continuing to go through this, Maradona was signed to be that superstar for Barcelona. They were that throughout the, the course of the history of, of the team, there's a superstar that they're trying to bring in. Obviously, they talk about the, the Catalan identity and bringing up players through the Masia and trying to have a core of a team be a certain kind of player as well. But superstars that have been signed have always been the players that are supposed to take the team and put them over the edge. So whether it was Maradona, whether it was Luis Suarez being the Uruguayan, and then again, you talk about not even Ronaldo because young Ronaldo came from PSV at a young age, but you're talking about Kubala as well was a, a huge get in that way. It was supposed to be that superstar signing. But that brings us to the top three here because... Two is Xavi, three is Johan Cruyff, and four is Andres Iniesta. And I saw all three of these basically interchanged. The one, I know Iniesta is the one that people are saying should be two or three, 
But Cruyff at three was one that was interesting because my wife kind of watched me go through this whole thing. I don't want to tell you the number of hours that I put into those YouTube videos. It's kind of <laughs> it's kind of unhealthy. A lot of hours. It's kind of unhealthy how many hours I put in. But she, when we watched the final one, she goes, so Cruyff only won two trophies. And he did. Johan Cruyff only won two trophies. And he winds up winning a Ballon d'Or with Barcelona, his third but he winds winning it on the back of the two he had just won on Ajax, and he wins it in his first season, the year that they won the Liga. And then the, the argument against Cruyff is that in his second and third seasons, there was even criticism from the press that he wasn't really trying as hard, they didn't really care as much. But Johan Cruyff is at three, not even because, again, this is as a player. We didn't judge this on his being a manager, on him changing the whole philosophy of the club, on him his help with the, the youth. Johan Cruyff, the player, even then, the way that he changed the club, it's the reason Ronaldinho's 5-2, because he was one of those superstar ch- signings that Barcelona hadn't won a Liga in all this time. He changed the fortunes of the club. He, They were on a path. Barcelona, FC Barcelona was on a path. And Johan Cruyff came in and almost like a, a train, I, I don't know, they call them the conductors, the ones, obviously the ones in the train are the conductors, but the ones worrying about the switches. Anyway, <laughs> the ones worrying the switches back on the board. He basically took the track of FC Barcelona and di- diverted it in a different direction and he changed the club in a positive way forever even if he only won two trophies Barcelona there was a belief to the people in the city of Barcelona when Johan Cruyff showed up and that's why he winds up being number three and Andres Iniesta on any other team in the world is one or two but because the three guys in front of him again is Cruyff a guy that diverted the whole history of the club Xavi, maybe the greatest midfielder, well, certainly I think maybe the greatest Spanish player ever, and arguably one of the top five midfielders ever to play the game, and then obviously one is Messi. So, I mean, Andres Iniesta winds up being four, and it doesn't say anything about Iniesta. It says more about who's one, two, three. Yeah, yeah. Um, We could disagree. We could put Andres Iniesta a little higher and Cruyff fourth, but I think that it's the same argument we made for Figo. You know, with Figo, you cannot forget the fact that Basically, he loved money more than he loved himself. Uh, oh, not, not himself, but definitely all of us. And with Johan Cruyff, it's what he did on the pitch. The, obviously, he came at a time of difficulty, not just for Barcelona club, which obviously you just explained, so I'm not going to repeat it, but also politically um, mm-hmm. with all of the Franco era and all of that going on. And, you know, the, 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 the shift in terms of democracy that was about to be happening in Spain, the fact that he went to the Bernabeu and beat them 5-0, no 5, as you say in Spanish, 0-5, the way that he scores spectacular goals that I'm sure that at the moment you type Cruyff Barcelona on Google, that's the first goal that comes up. Um, It's more about what he means um, beyond the football pitch that that what he physically did on the pitch, which obviously was spectacular, and that's why he won the Ballon d'Or yet again. With Andres Iniesta, you know, I think it's very difficult to differentiate between Xavi and Iniesta because they're technically the same person. Um, Obviously, they they play differently. Uh, I personally am biased here. Obviously, Iniesta played with my brother when he was at Barca, and (laughs) I think Iniesta, in my eyes, is more spectacular than Xavi was um, moving forward. He was a better dribbler moving forward. He had better goal-scoring capabilities and he had the ability to score tremendously important goals. I mean, Xavi did score a goal uh, that saved Louis van Gaal from getting sacked um, at Valladolid and with a header, which um, just Google that or YouTube it and you'll be able to see it. But beyond that, I think Iniesta scores many more important goals, not just obviously for Spain in the... But yeah, the Chelsea goal, the Chelsea goal, Barca win the Champions League in 2009. Again, they were out of the Champions League. And, met, and, and you're right, Iniesta scores that goal against Chelsea. So I, I completely see your argument too. And, and again, the bias here for me is that Iniesta, 
if if it wasn't for Messi, Iniesta would be my favorite Barcelona player that I've ever seen. And and it's no disrespect to Xavi, but I agree. Andres Iniesta has brought me so much joy. And I think other than Messi, because there's going to be footage of him forever, the first player that whatever future children I have, the first player that I'm going to show them is Andres Iniesta. Yeah, but that's that's why. But the thing is, to be honest, I don't think it matters. I mean, you could have Lionel Messi <laughs> right. first. Um, you can have two, three together. So just have two and two, Xavi and Iniesta, and then Cruyff as a fourth. But then again, it's all about what, what Cruyff added to the club, not just as a player, but as a manager, uh, which obviously is not what we're judging here, but it's really hard to differentiate. Right. But um, I just want to say, Dan, you've really worked your hours to, to get this going. Uh, the production of those videos is really, really good. And uh, I'm just very grateful that you were able to share that content with, obviously, myself, but the whole of our Barca community. So thank you. Yeah, I do appreciate those words. And again, all the things that the dialogue and the debate and the discussion that people are having. Again, this list is one, as you heard from this show, that I enjoyed the debate. I enjoyed the discussion. It is not set in stone. Again, this was combined where you'd see that Frances and I, if you had seen the original list, we didn't necessarily entirely agree on where certain players went. And there are certain players that, again, you've got some fantastic former legends for Barcelona. I mean, Javier Mascherano, winds up not making the list. Terry Henry is not on this list. Even in rin- recent times, Joachim Rife is not on this list. Evaristo Mercado, Miguel Angel Nadal. You could go on and on and on. And the one thing that I learned from even doing this was that Barca has such a rich history. When you talk about the time that we're in, and I don't want to bring it all full circle, but because of the, the way that things are kind of looking in the world right now and everyone, certainly positivity is hard to come by at the moment. But not that I'm escaping in the past. I, I, I want to be a guy who likes history, but there is so much history to FC Barcelona. There's so much to learn. And what I do recognize is that the more things change and the more you feel like, oh, this is unprecedented times. And we, the way we started this show by talking about Messi, maybe not being too happy with the board, you know, as you look back and Nunez and his disagreements with the team in the late 80s and what that the, the era that that ushers in, when we talk about Rivaldo kind of feeling like he's alone on an island, all these different moments in Barca history. And even again, the big transfers that wind up coming in and the ways that they change the club in different ways, but in the same way that Barca still had the same idea and all football clubs do. Let's bring in this superstar and that'll change our fortunes. And for the clubs that that superstar works and it changes their fortune, it's great. But when it doesn't work out or guys wind up leaving or like a Luis Figo or like Ronaldo winds up leaving early, then it can set your club back in the same way. And so again, historically, it winds up, it's always interesting to me that the more things change, it seems like the more they stay the same until you get to Lionel Messi, who when I looked at all of his stats and I'm looking through everything that he's done in comparison to the rest of the guys on this list, it just it still boggles the mind how much better he is, not only than every other player who's ever played for Barcelona, but every other player who's ever played. It, it is it just unfathomable the kind of player that Lionel Messi is. And if anything, of all that history that I look through, it it does make me really, really appreciate the time that we live in, that we get to see Lionel Messi play. Exactly. I just think that, and, you know, this is not an Argentina podcast, but I think for the sake of Messi, I really do hope that he goes to the next World Cup and maybe with Lautaro and other sort of young Argentinian players coming through, he manages to get that World Cup so that the debate, which is not really a debate, really, shouldn't be, if you really understand football, but that he know he, he he closes his career with that cherry on top that I think he fully deserves. 
Yep, I think that's a good place to put a pin in this one. Again, thanks so much for all those who listen to this show. But again, also on YouTube, if you've been keeping up with that series, it may be the biggest series that I'm going to be doing for a little bit of time. Again, it took a lot of hours, but that doesn't mean the content is stopping. We're going to have a lot more stuff like that, a lot more stuff digging in the history books. Again, that's one of the things that I enjoy doing. We're doing a lot of reading. We're doing a lot of writing, all those different things. So keep your, keep at least one eye on the YouTube channel and keep at least an ear here on the podcast. We're going to not only be discussing some of the stuff that shows up on YouTube, but we're going to continue to discuss some of the historical things that are going in, that are involved in the club that you kind of can still see some of the remnants of today. So thanks so much for tuning in again. Tap in your app. Check out the show notes to subscribe. Find us on social media. You know where we're at. We're on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at Hilton D13. For me, on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. That closed Facebook group where, again, there was some Great discussions going on about this list. tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions. Patreon is not going on right now, but again, continue to help us make these shows at this time with tbpod.link backslash Patreon. And I want to say so much a great thank you to the patrons that are still patrons and those who have even increased their help for the podcast. Uh, At this time, you just, it, it, it is awesome. That's all I'll say. I'll leave it there. It's awesome. Francesca mentioned before. It's awesome. Again, YouTube, the Barcelona podcast, really easy to find us there. Check us out. Give us a like, hit that subscription button because as listeners, that's a big help. And you know, people always say that, but it really is like all those little things really does help put it in front of other people. And again, share this list, make sure you're having a dialogue with whether it's on zoom, whether it's on Skype, continue to talk to each other, continue to communicate like Francesca and I do and try to find a little bit of normalcy. Again, get to know each other behind a screen and we'll all get through this time together so i appreciate everyone listening and being part of this community continuing to be a part of this community so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon and force the barca, barca.